the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and where he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much indeed. It's lovely to see all of you tonight. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to be taking a look at this issue of climate justice together tonight. And we've thought very hard about this. And what we're also going to do is to try to provide some really concrete things to think about and act on. Um, so that this isn't just all hot air uh, that we're doing. So that's uh, where we'll be going. So I'm going to say a bit, and then uh, we're going to lead uh, a response time where we're going to try and give you some really concrete, uh, specific things. That They're starting points, they're not end points. Um, but I would want to observe two things as we begin. That The first one is, this is an area in which Christians need to be leading by example and living lives that look different to other people. And I thank God for the many of you who already do that. Uh, the second thing is, we are looking uh, to the younger end of the church, to, particularly to students and young people, to be our leaders in this area. Uh, it, we really need you to help us understand what this is going to mean and how we're going to live this stuff out. Uh, my generation have had a whole lifetime to think about this and for most of that time, we've got it wrong. And we hope that you're coming into it with fresh eyes and that you can really help us as a church understand and be leaders of change within this community, but also more widely. And that you, with a vision of what climate justice can mean, can go on to be leaders of thought and practice and technology and change and justice within our world. So no pressure, but that's sort of what we're expecting of you. Good. Now, Pakistan has been underwater 
with thousands of people dead and up to 50 million people displaced. Western Europe, Central and Eastern China have all experienced record heat waves and drought this year. In the UK, we tipped over 40 Celsius uh, this summer. We've got wildfires on the rampage. We've got habitats shrinking. We've got rainfall, as we heard in Nigeria, is shifting. We have lots of people on the move because of those things. And we have an extreme loss of biodiversity in our world. This is our climate emergency. People have talked about it for ages. This is it. It's literally happening. We get to hear it from our visiting friends from Uganda. We get to see it on the news every day. This is our climate emergency. And even if we start to take radical action like this evening, we will still see further destruction of habitat and war and migration and starvation and more intense wildfires and drought. Africa, as we've heard, is already really hard hit and it will get worse and tropical storms will grow in intensity. And this evening we're going to focus on one particular part of this and that is this. Simply, this is unbelievably unfair. That's what we're going to think about tonight. This is unjust. And so therefore, not just Christians, but lots of people talk about climate justice. And the reason we talk about climate justice is because it's not fair, the current situation. It's just not fair. The poorest, as Kerry said in her prayers, the most vulnerable, those who've contributed least to the gigatons of carbon dioxide that is warming our atmosphere, they suffer the most in deeper poverty and in harsher climates. We, richer nations, who've benefited enormously from industrialization, from the burning of fossil fuels for decades, we have suffered the least. That is not fair. Simply isn't fair. It's our mess, but other people are paying the price. I want to show you a graph that is one simple way of understanding this. It's visualizing the number of tons of carbon dioxide per person per year in a variety of countries across the world. Uh, and you will see there uh, that Nigeria that we heard about in a tear fund video, uh, that would be an average of 0.6 of a ton uh, per year. India and UK, both on nearly five, uh, so about eight times more than Nigeria. China, 8.2. Uh, the U.S. world leaders, as always, at uh, 13.6. Uh, so it just goes to show that the, 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 it's the people who are currently responsible for the warming of our climate, it's not as though we've all contributed the same. There is a vast uh, difference. And what that graph uh, doesn't really tell you uh, is that uh, Western Europe, us, North America, we've been top of the leaderboard for decades. So we pollute more, and we've polluted for a lot longer. Now, you all know what it feels like when something is unfair. If you're underpaid in a job, if you're passed over in a job, uh, if you are disappointed in love, if you're wrestling with bereavement, if you're trying to get ahead in business and you simply can't, you know that seething, paralyzing rage of being on the receiving end of injustice and that sense of it's not right. Well, we have that, we just have it on a global scale. There is global injustice. 
And the first thing we need to do today is to just sit quietly and feel the full weight of this injustice. And for some of you, that's, that's all you need. You just need to be reminded that this is unfair. And if something's unfair, then we should make it right. We should change our lifestyles. We should require our leaders to eradicate the causes of the climate crisis. Some of you are not yet convinced. You say quietly, well, it takes more than a few summers to prove there's a climate emergency. Some of you are full of righteous anger. You're big on who's to blame. Uh, and who's to blame is normally governments uh, or the big multinationals. But you're not that keen on changing the way that you live. And there's a bit of a problem of hypocrisy there. And then, a G and then Jesus appears. Jesus appears through the crowd with this revolutionary parable of the Good Samaritan. And we want to hear its power afresh. We're aware, I think, of the countless acts of service and love and compassion that Jesus has uh, inspired uh, through his life, but particularly through this parable. Think of the hospitals, think of the hospices, uh, think of the uh, millions of acts of simple grace and kindness. We love Jesus' song in this parable about crossing divides, about treating the neglected generously, about treating people with dignity. We love Jesus for this parable. We love the way that this parable is, of course, actually about him. It's about Jesus. It's about his compassion, his stepping across the divide, his radical love, his determination to pray, pay the price for our restoration, a price that he paid not just in coins, or an inconvenience, but a price that he paid in a beautiful life of humility that ended with an ugly death of humiliation. We gladly serve our risen Savior. We celebrate debts forgiven and relationships put right. And so when we hear this parable, we warm to the challenge of loving our global neighbor. We recognize that for Jesus' original questioner, the lawyer, the world was a much smaller place. The despised outsider Samaritan that Jesus introduced in the story only lived 20 or 25 miles away. We know that our world has shrunk. We know that like the Samaritan, we can help. We can so yes, we want to love our global neighbor. Yes, we want to campaign that government promises made are actually fulfilled. Yes, we long to see the lives of the poorest and most vulnerable transformed for the better. And yes, we believe that our government and all other governments should be sacrificially tending to the needs and wounds of our sisters and our brothers, the people who are paying the highest price without any of the benefits that we have enjoyed. And yes, we, we want to be generous. We want to be tender. We want to be attentive in all the ways that we see Jesus being generous and tender and attentive. And so this Good Samaritan thing, you know, it's challenging but it's great. And we know how these parables of Jesus work. Uh, we know that often the challenge is that we step into the shoes 
of the person in the parable, the Samaritan who ignores cultural and historic differences to offer true love and compassion without counting the costs, without getting a payback, without even recognition. But we have to do much more than that this evening, much much more. Much as we love, wouldn't it be just lovely to jump into the shoes of the Good Samaritan straight away, the hero of the hour? We must admit that we already live in this parable, this dangerously simple parable, but we're playing parts that are less hero and more villain. Because we are the priest and we are the Levite who walk past the beaten, defenseless man. We have every reason to stop and help sisters and brothers across the world. But we find incredibly righteous reasons not to help. We say things like, we've got our own people to look after. Or we say, we can't afford it. Friends, we cannot be good global neighbors till we confess that so far, we've been terrible global neighbors. We're the people who chuck all of our garbage into the back gardens of those that we live near. And here's the hardest part. If we're honest, we also play a starring role as the ruthless robbers responsible for the beaten, senseless, naked figure on the ground. It was us that did that. We as a culture have benefited enormously from the systematic exploitation of the Earth's resources. Exploitation that has been so catastrophic for God's world, so far from our God-designed role as stewards, as carers of our creation. You may say, well, that was in the past. It's not our responsibility. Well, we live very comfortably in the present because of it. And we continue, as that graph showed, to be a significant part of the problem. We're polluting, we're degrading, we're spoiling, we're robbing the earth and many of its people through our inaction and denial and our tight grip on an unsustainable lifestyle that is breaking God's beautiful world. So we can't even begin to be good global neighbors rushing to the aid of the poor when it's our actions that made them poor and it's our actions that keep them poor. I wonder, do you long to be a good global neighbor? Someone for whom justice in the deepest and most profound sense is an important thing. It is right, it is just, it is generous, it is the Jesus way to be in our world. And we will get there, we will get there, but we must first stop being part of the problem by recognizing that there is an emergency and by recognizing our share of responsibility for it. We have a mandate as Christian people to love and to care for the world, not to tear it apart. We have to change our lifestyles, our attitudes, and we have to change what we expect from our leaders. We have to tell them that this injustice cannot continue. And then 
and only then we might be ready to live as good global neighbors. And as I said at the start, we look to you. We look to you for your leadership. We look to you for your courage. We look to you for your ingenuity uh, to make this happen in ways uh, that my generation has not even imagined. Amen.